Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have Dr. Anthony Bradley. Thanks for being here, Dr. Bradley. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, Anthony, the King's College apparently has closed down. Is this correct? Well, it's not officially closed. The administrators are still in place, or at least some of them. Uh, what they've done effectively is closed. But the technical phraseology, phrasing, uh, is that we are not, the Kings is not offering classes in the fall of 2023. Uh, they have released all of the faculty members from their duties. So faculty members were, were laid off in, in July. And there are just a few administrators left, and I believe the president, and maybe there's some board members, I'm sure, hanging on. But it's effectively closed, just not officially closed. How long were you there teaching? I was there for about 14 years. I came on in 2009 and taught there until officially uh, this summer summer of 2023 so about, about 14 years i'm very sorry for that loss very sorry for the loss not only to you but also to the students and to new york city manhattan right yeah. it was in the middle of manhattan right yeah yeah thanks so much i appreciate that yeah it was it's was really sort of tragic because what the kings was able to do in terms of graduating christian students and placing them in outstanding careers in New York City and in Manhattan in particular will not happen now. You're not going to go to a, a Christian college in the middle of of Michigan or Iowa or out in California and get the kind of jobs that King's students were getting because they were had they had opportunities to get internships while they were students. And the internships were the on ramp uh, into the job. So if you're not in the city for the internships, you're not going to get the sorts of jobs that our students were getting. So it's really sort of tragic in that in that sense. We were we were placed in the Empire State Building for the first probably ten or so years of its reconstitution. So the college was that's cool. Found, <laughs> yes. So the college was founded in, in 1938. I didn't and, know that. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Why did yeah, I was, not know that? Really? Wow. Yeah, it was founded by, by Percy Crawford, and it was part of the you know, sort of larger evangelical movement of starting institutions in the in the kind of Billy Graham era. So you had a number of uh, evangelical Protestants yeah. in the Northeast who founded lots of institutions like Gordon-Conwell Seminary, I mean, uh -huh. places like that. Sure, yeah, yeah. So it was sort of part of that, that historical milieu, Fuller. the King, the King, Fuller, exactly. So the King's College was founded in 1938 in that, in that context. And Percy Crawford was, a, was sort of the, the Billy Graham of sorts of the Northeast, had a radio program and was an evangelist and things like that. So he was sort of the, like I said, the, the, the Billy Graham of, of the Northeast. The college actually closed in 1996. And if you read the Christianity Today article uh, from 1996 on why it closed, it's, it's eerily similar on the financial side and the student enrollment side with the closure this, this summer, minus some of the other the theological issues. So in 1996, there was a, drib there was a, a drifting to the left. So there was a, a liberal 
drift to the institution hmm. that effectively kind of shut it down. We were shut down mainly because of COVID. I mean, it just decimated our numbers and we didn't have the margin to sort of sustain what that low enrollment uh, was going to uh, result in uh, uh, for us. So, so, in 1996, when it closed, it was resurrected by Bill Bright and Campus Crusade for Christ. So we were a subsidiary. Kings was a subsidiary of Campus Crusade until about 2012 or so, and when it, it officially sort of broke away and 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 reestablished itself as an independent evangelical uh, college. So we're so when Bill Bright raised the money put it in the Empire State Building. The vision was that the King's College was going to be the Christian college for New York City. And it was a it was originally in that in that sense in around 2000, it was a school where college students in the New York City area could commute to a Christian college and, and go home. So back then there wasn't really any housing. It was really for local college students in the in the greater New York City area. That changed around 2008, 2009, when it kind of nationalized. And that's when the the most familiar iteration of Kings that people know came into existence. So a few presidents later, a few administrations later, that vision really expanded to the country. And so by the time it was, I got there in 2009, the, the primary constituents in terms of students came from back then about a four state. So it was it was California, Texas, Florida, and Colorado. And we we were we drew students primarily from those states. By the time we shut down in 2023, it was still California, it was still Texas, it was still Florida as our sort of primary draw states. Wow. But that but by then we'd added New York and and New Jersey. So and we were able to really, we were able to place a lot of, of Christian students, graduates in institutions they would not have been able to get into. Otherwise, we were feeding, we were regularly feeding students into Ivy League institutions, uh, primarily Columbia, uh, Princeton, Harvard, and Yale uh, for, okay. for grad school. And that sort of became a, a regular what, thing. In what us. disciplines? Everything from Harvard Law School with uh, three guys. Actually, my first my first TA hmm. that I had back in 2010 uh, with the Harvard Law. Uh, it ranged from there to journalism. Uh, Columbia's uh, a journalism school, uh, including all the way to Yale Divinity School and and things like that. So sort of everything in between. And, you know, we had students who were also getting into top tier, not just Ivy, but second tier schools for grad school as, as well in, in the Northeast, which is really, really impressive. So it's just tragic in the sense that, yeah, that this, that, you know, we were a small school where we're swinging way, way above our weight and had incredible success because of our academic rigor at getting students, uh, getting our alums placed in some really So, so it's it's a loss for the Eastern Seaboard, almost like, sounds like what you're saying. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah it, it really is. And the, the greater tragedy 
is it three Christian colleges in the New York City area closed within three years? Jeez. So so Nyack College, which is 140 years old, a Christian Missionary Alliance College, their main campus in Nyack, New York, they had another campus a few blocks away from Boston, Manhattan. They closed. Kings is closed. And then a Missouri Senate Lutheran College just north of the Bronx, uh, Concordia College, New York, also closed. So effectively, in the greater, in the tri-state area, with the exception of Houghton College, way upstate New York, there just isn't a Christian college in the yes, area. That's crazy. For about for about ten about about ten twelve million people, there's no Christian college, which is wow, interesting, sad. Yeah. Where did you live when you were teaching there? I lived in the Washington Heights section of Manhattan, so I lived in the one eighties. First year, I lived in one seventy eight. And I moved to 182nd, and finally I lived on 182nd. Uh, they actually still have an apartment there as, as well as uh, living here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, you moved. Okay. Is that where yeah. Acton is? Yeah, so the, the Acton Institute is, is here in Grand Rapids, and I'm also uh, teaching at Kuiper College uh, here in Grand Rapids as well. And it's interesting. There, there are more Christian colleges in Grand Rapids than there are in New York in the New York City area. That's amazing. So it's, it's so fascinating in a population as small as is Grand Rapids. You have three Christian colleges right next door to each other, and I am not exaggerating. Kuiper College, Cornerstone University, and Calvin University are literally right next door to each other on the on the East Beltline Road. So I know you've written uh, some books and I, I saw a YouTube video of you about how you do uh, deep work. Now, how do you do deep work? <laughs> do you stay off social media? How do you do it? How do, what, what's your process? What's your writing process like when you write a book? Like you wrote a big one, like for like Cambridge University Press, right? You wrote, you wrote one on mass incarceration. Um, how do you get the ideas for your books and, and how do you go from there to bring it to fruition? That's a fantastic question. I think if people were to go to Amazon and, and look at my titles, what they would find is they're not related. <laughs> Most of them, it seems a bit arbitrary and random. I might have ADD or ADHD, perhaps that, that may, that may be the problem. But typically for me, well, that's impressive that you're able to write those books with that condition. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I tell people that the, the topics of my books typically come from two places. One, from interactions with students mm. and just mm. sort of looking at the world of young adults and seeing what's happening there. And why is it that I'm seeing certain trends within sort of young adult populations? And then the other side typically is stuff that I find a bit questionable that I get really upset about. Like when you're so, watching the news or reading the newspaper or what? Reading the newspaper, happen to reading something in a footnote in, a, in another book, I come across some random fact and I'm like, wait, I didn't know that. And I'm thinking, where'd that come from? And where'd mm -hmm. that come from? The other, the other thing, and this is, 
this is a fair. If the topic is worthy of a book. So if people were to pay attention to my social media feed, what they'll say. Hang on there, Anthony. I think I lost you here. You're back. <laughs> okay. I don't. Uh, where we left off was, uh, I think the last thing you said was, you get ideas from your students, and there was something right after that. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. I can I can just draw the answer over. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. Yeah. So part part of my process also includes getting insight from my interaction with students. So I'm often yeah. interested in the world of students. I see certain patterns and trends yeah. in their lives, and I'm curious as to why I'm seeing certain things. And And a lot of my writings on youth and family and marriage and parenting comes from looking at the lives of teens and 20-somethings trying to figure out, well, why am I saying this? I've been working with that population for about 25 years. So that typically will explain that. On the other side, a lot of my topics just come from being curious about things that I've never known about, things I, I see that I'm curious in terms of why it is that it's being presented one way versus another, mm -hmm. things I get really, really mad at, and I'm trying to figure out why does everybody believe X when the answer is actually Y. Mm -hmm. The mass incarceration book, for example, this came out of me hearing that the cause of the inc incarceration spike for African Americans was the drug war. Right, and that I've made that. that made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I said like, that can't be right <laughs> so reading other people's perspectives and when i read other arguments i was like oh well this is complete rubbish but there was something missing in the discourse and i thought well let me introduce what i think is sort of missing in some of that dialogue which was christian personalism in terms of something in terms of a, of a way to referee uh, some of these debates so uh, the reason the, the book titles are random because it's it's sort of it's sort of things that I'm angry about or pissed off about or curious about at the moment. I'll do a book about it. I'll talk about it for a year or two. And then I'm like, oh, wait, ooh, what's that over there? Yeah. <laughs> Is so, that a, it's, I'm like a I'm like a dog. I'm like a dog chasing, <laughs> you know, rabbits and squirrels and birds. I'm like, oh, look over there. There's another weird thing that's happening. What is that about? And then I'll just do a deep dive in the topic for a few years bring my head above water and just see what else is floating around. Uh, now that, that anger, the, 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 that, that initial anger, um, does that sustain you throughout the process? The anger? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And it, it does because a, a bit of a trajectory in terms of audience. So what'll happen is I'll get I'll get an idea, I'll get mad, I'll go to social media, I'll put it out there, pick my counter argument, I'll see how that flies. And if people are just completely beholden to the narrative that I think is wrong, that keeps me going because I'm like, well, I, I gave the counterfactual data point and, and there's so much confirmation bias about the data point. And then I'll, I'll usually write an article about it and then that'll get some traction and people saying, well, that's wrong. And then I go speak about it. Yeah. And then in the, audit, in the Q&A part, people are pushing back uh-huh. and they're like, well, that can't be right. And then I'm like, all right, well, then I, I got to keep writing this book because obviously nobody gets it because I'm, I'm getting the, the, exact, the exact same responses. It's amazing what happens when people are given what they assume to be a trustworthy presentation of data and they just don't ask any questions. Yes. And if some, it, to me to be a non sequitur, mm-hmm. if, if, if we go from A to B to D to Z, I'm thinking, well, wait, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, when there are all these other variables that could possibly explain some of the, some of the outcomes that were, that we're seeing. So it's for me, a lot of my, most of my writing is kind of passion projects that I'm, irritated about or curious about sounds like you get really irritated when there's not deep thought about stuff and that happens all the time so (laughs) you're you do you you that's a good that's a good reason to be a professor though that's why i became one because i i have the same issue where something will just drive me nuts in the popular culture or popular way of talking about things and um and I, you know, I, I just can't stand it. I, I don't write the books like you do though. So, <laughs> but, um, so the, the, would you consider yourself an ethicist? Is that your training or are you, are you a theologian? How do you classify yourself as a, as an academic? That's a complicated question because I, I am so interdisciplinary. It's hard to put me in a discipline box. I think I gave myself the title of the King's College of Religious Studies because the four areas that I work in are theology, economic theory, political philosophy, and psychology. Having studied those formally, some more formally than others, but those are the four areas. I kind of work at the intersection of those four disciplines. So theology proper I can do, I can't do it for too long because I want to go talk about something else. So yeah, sort of social ethics or maybe Christian social thought. If that was a discipline as it is in the Catholic church, if, if Protestants had Protestant social teaching, and if you could be a, a, a social ethicist in that, in that sense, I'd probably fit more in that in that category. Evangelicals tend to think about ethics in terms of personal piety, mm-hmm. uh, not so much the role of of church and state and kind of these big picture issues, things like that. Huh. Well, th- there are a lot. How do you define evangelical? Because I hear that word thrown around a lot, but how would you define it? If someone's listening to this and they don't quite know what that means. That's a great question. It's it's hard to define. I think it de- 
depends on the on the on the audience. I really group the evangelicals in contradistinction to the mainline mm-hmm. Protestant churches. I was raised in the mainline of was raised United Methodist. And the, the evangelicals were were really sort of anti mainline conservative mm-hmm. Protestants. What binds them together is they're protesting that Protestant part. And they they tend to to sort of circumlocate themselves protesting very similar things against other people. And right. they, they, they protest against what they believe to be the erosion of the faith on the one hand by liberal mainline Protestants and on the other hand by Roman Catholics. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a, I, I see it primarily as a sociological community that defines itself by negation. Mm. We're not those people over there. You might get a, a, a historical list about, about they have these shared beliefs in inerrancy of scripture. Mm-hmm. They have these shared beliefs about evangelism and they have these shared beliefs 